Welcome to the 20th FAIR Conference. We're really happy to have you here. Those of you who are here yesterday, did you enjoy the uh, yesterday's talks? Yeah, I thought they were exceptional. It'll be hard to beat just yesterday's conference there, but we'll, we'll try. We'll see how we do. Um, just, uh, here, I might block that out. Um, just so, well, just as a reminder, the restrooms are in that corner right there. Uh, please turn your cell phones to stun. You know, turn the ringer off. It's kind of embarrassing. It's difficult for the speaker when the cell phones ring. It's distracting. We'll be passing out question cards at the end of every, the end of every uh, talk, so that, that way you can write down your questions, and we'll bring it up to the speaker so you get your questions answered. There is a feedback form. We didn't do a good job yesterday announcing this, but there's a feedback form. It's online. And uh, just after each speaker, if you can just go on and rate your speaker, it'd be great on your phone. You can click on it and bring it up on your phone. It's at the bottom of every page. It tells you how to get there. Unfortunately, the phone number is incorrect. You can, there's, the website is right, but the phone number is not correct. We'll get you the correct phone number shortly. I have it written down in my phone, but I can't find it, so it'll take a minute. Uh, but I'm happy you're here. I think you'll enjoy today. It'll be great. And with that, I'm going to have newly returned missionary Elizabeth Hollyoak come up and give us an opening prayer. She just got back from Korea. So if her accent is a little different. <laughs> so. Our dear, kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we're very grateful that we could come here um, safely this morning to um, be able to listen to the speakers today. Please bless the speakers that they can um, present what they've prepared um, the way that they want to, and please help us to be able to feel the Spirit and to be able to something new from each presentation. Please help us to always feel of thy love and spirit, and we love thee so very much, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if we want to continue having conferences in the future, this is my pitch, and I hate doing this every year, but we, we, we need donations. We survive on donations. No donations, no conference. Uh, and we have to pay our, our staff out front who uh, uh, take care of our, our bookstore, help set up the conference, and help manage our website. We have two part-time people we pay. Um, the, uh, not me, <laughs> so, but that's okay. Uh, the, right now during the conference, anything that you donate is matched $2 for every dollar you give. We have two donors giving us money up to $7,000, and then above that, it's still matchable up to $50,000 one for one. So if you are able to, to donate, that would be fabulous. That would be really good. Any, any amount at all is good. You can donate either by giving to the bookstore, just hand them something, you know, like, as I said yesterday, just your credit card and tell them to max it out. That would be fine. Um, so, or, um, or you can do it online at the Fair Mormon website. You can donate online there as well. Yesterday we collected about $1,700. We really appreciate that. But uh, we'd, we'd like to collect all 7000 if we can. That would be good. 
With that, let's become official here. We're really pleased to have our next speaker, Sarah Riley. Sarah Riley graduated cum laude with a BA in Ancient Near Eastern Studies from BYU and is currently working as web designer. And if you want to read more about her bio, it's online. And with that, we'll turn the time over to Sarah. Here she is. All right, good morning. Um, thank you for attending the Fair Mormon Conference here today. Um, I feel so privileged to be here and to speak to you today about the Exodus motif and the story of Abinadi, Alma, King Noah, and more in the Book of Mosiah. Um, um, so, well, just on a side note for me also, um, Brad Wilcox, the next speaker, he came to my youth state conference in Missouri when I was 14, so this is just really special for me to be able to be here presenting at the same conference he is. So anyway, thank you for letting me come. All right, so um, in this presentation, I hope to answer the following questions. Um, number one, how is the Exodus narrative used in Mosiah? both structurally and thematically, and by that I mean, how is the structure of the book of Exodus similar to these chapters in Mosiah, and how are the Exodus themes used in the book of Mosiah? And number two, were these Exodus motifs and allusions intentional? And while we cannot necessarily, as a reader, be 100% positive concerning the intent and purposes of the author or authors of the book of Mosiah, I hope to establish that these illusions may plausibly have been intentional. And if it is intentional, why would they use the Exodus narrative for this particular account? Um, but before I proceed, there are some limitations to this approach um, that I need to bring up. Um, first is translation and language. There are limitations to how much we can pinpoint the finer elements of the Book of Mormon syntax and grammar. Um, also, comparing specific words is a challenge since we do not have the original text language of the Book of Mormon and we have to rely on the English translation. Um, also, we don't know all the sources that were used to write the Book of Mosiah. And we also don't know what version of the Pentateuch, um, also the five books of Moses, the author had in, for Mosiah. And since these are both historical accounts, we can't compare event by event, per se, since they're both treated as um, histories for, each, um, for the people. Um, some correlations between persons and events may blend a bit together while we're comparing these illusions. Um, Lastly, we don't know how much Mormon who abridged the Book of Mormon has influenced the text or if the original author was alluding to the Exodus story. Um, so now that those are out of the way, one last thing is what is the Exodus? Um, what does the Exodus story encompass? Um, unlike the movie Ten Commandments, it doesn't end at the golden calf scene. The Exodus account is spread over the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and some Joshua. Um, 
Um, I think it's fair to say um, most scholars agree that it can be seen as, quote, encompassing everything from the bondage in Egypt up to the preparations to cross the Jordan after 40 years of wilderness wandering. So that's what, when I'm talking about the Exodus, that's what I mean. Everything from those, from that. Okay. Um, Oh, sorry. There's the quote. All right, first question that should be asked is, did the author of Mosiah even have the Exodus source? Um, We know initially Nephi brings back the brass plates from Jerusalem, and he mentions in um, 1 Nephi chapter 5 that it contained the five books of Moses. Um, Lehi took the records which are engraven upon the place of brass, and he did search them from the beginning. And he beheld that they did contain the five books of Moses, which gave an account of the creation of the world and also of Adam and Eve, who were our first parents. Um, Although their version might be slightly different from the one we have now, so that also could be um, a little bit of a limitation. Um, We also must ask, did did King Zenith and his people have copies of the brass plates or other scriptures with them when they um, moved from the land of Zarahemla back to the land of Nephi? Um, We know um, that they are at least very familiar with the story as King Limhi, um, who is the grandson of King Zenith, mentions the Exodus narrative when he speaks to the people in Mosiah 7, quote, That God who brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and caused that they should walk through the Red Sea on dry ground and fed them with manna that they might not perish in the wilderness. And lastly, um, the courts of Noah had, or at least claimed that they had, an understanding of the law of Moses, which is contained in the Exodus story. In Mosiah 12, quote, And they, Noah's priests said, We teach the law of Moses. So now let's examine the similarities between the two accounts in detail. So in Exodus, um, we first begin with the oppressive um, pharaoh, um, the new pharaoh who doesn't like the Israelites, who doesn't know who Joseph is, as the text says, and he oppresses them with hard labor and forcing them to build a palace city. Um, We also, the story in Mosiah also begins with um, oppressive and a wicked king Noah, who lays heavy taxes on the people and coerces them into laboring to construct many costly buildings. Um, Also, we are introduced to Moses. He kills an Egyptian um, and flees to Midian in fear for his life. Um, Also, likewise, Abinadi prophesies to the people, and um, he flees from them in in fear of his life. Um, Next... um, Moses is commanded to return and to deliver Israel, and Abinadi is commanded to return and prophesy to the people. Um, Also, the firstborns in Egypt die, um, and finally the Pharaoh says, okay, you can go, and the Israelites leave Egypt. And, um, oh, sorry, that that was a little mixed up. So um, Abinadi is then executed, um, and... Alma escapes, and then um, and Moses and Aaron. Oh, sorry, I got this all mixed up. Okay, let me look at that. Okay, um, so the Israelites pass through the Red Sea. Alma's followers are baptized. Okay, and then next we have. 
um, the Israelites then wander in the wilderness. And Alma's people flee into the wilderness as well in fear of King Noah. And Moses instructs the people and gives laws. Likewise, Alma organizes and instructs his followers. Um, and throughout this, the Exodus story, the Lord chastens the Israelites, as we read on multiple occasions. And the Lord also tries the faith of the Nephites when they're in bondage, as we read in, in the text. Um, the Israelites also have many deliverances, and the Lord delivers the people from the Lamanites when they're in bondage to them. Um, the Israelites then arrive to the promised land, and Alma and his people arrive in the land of Zarahemla. And next, the Israelites, last of all, the Israelites begin to establish cities in the promised land, and Alma is authorized to organize the church of God. So based on these similarities, it seems pretty reasonable to suppose that the author of Mosiah was drawing from the Exodus narrative, and this use of the Exodus can be seen as unifying the structure and the, the layout of the chapters of Mosiah. Um, while many of the references in an Exodus in Mosiah are more subtle, there is specific mention of the Exodus in Mosiah chapters 12 through 13. Um, one of the most explicit comparisons to the Exodus is in Mosiah 13, verse 5, when Abinadi is testifying to the priests and his face is compared to Moses's when he was on Mount Sinai. Um, which is, quote, his face shone with exceeding luster, even as Moses did while on the Mount of Sinai while speaking to the, with the Lord. And also, Abinadi specifically references the Exodus a few times in his speech, showing even Abinadi had the Exodus in mind while preaching to the court. Quote, but now Abinadi said unto them, I know if ye keep the commandments of God, ye shall be saved. Yea, if ye keep the commandments which the Lord delivered unto Moses in the Mount of Sinai. And um, also, Abinadi continues, It was expedient that there should be a law given to the children of Israel, yea, even a very strict law, for they were stiff-necked people, quick to do iniquity, and slow to remember the Lord their God. Um, so now that we've gone through the overarching structure of these chapters in Mosiah, I will go chapter by chapter examining the allusions to the Exodus narrative. So if you have a copy of the Book of Mormon and you'd like to follow along, um, feel free to, to do so with your own copy. And we will begin in chapter 11 of Mosiah. So as mentioned earlier, the Book of Mosiah portrays King Noah like the oppressive and hard-hearted pharaoh of Egypt. Um, the text begins in verse 1 by stating that King Noah did not walk in the ways of his father. And likewise, there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not, e which knew not Joseph. And as I mentioned before, the people labored hard to support King Noah and his building projects. And also the Israelites were in heavy bondage. They built treasure cities, and their lives were bitter with hard bondage. Um, quote. And then, um, the Nephites shall know that I am the Lord their God, and am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of my people. And that is Abinadi quoting Exodus 20, verse 5, which says, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Um, also, King Noah says, Who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? 
or who is the Lord that I shall bring upon my people such great affliction? And this was one of the first things that kind of tipped me off that they were using the Exodus when I was first um, starting to study this. Um, when he says, or who is the Lord? And because the Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? And then next, um, it mentions that the people and King Noah hardened their hearts. And um, here in Exodus, it says Pharaoh's heart is hardened on multiple occasions. His heart becomes more and more hardened. Um, And last of all, King Noah is paranoid of Alma creating an uprising, and Pharaoh is afraid of that that exact same thing. He's afraid they'll create an army, they'll be rebellious, and that's one reason why he does not want to let them go. Um, In addition to similarities between King Noah and Pharaoh, there are more subtle allusions to the Exodus narrative in Mosiah. Mosiah chapter 12 begins... um, with the Lord commanding Abinadi to stretch forth thy hand. And we see throughout the beginning of Exodus, the Lord commands Moses to stretch forth thy hand on multiple occasions to afflict Egypt. Um, And the Lord says, King Noah shall know that I am the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 7, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Um... Next, Abinadi prophesies, Hail, the east wind, pestilence, insects, to devour grain, sore afflictions, and utter destruction. And likewise, we are very familiar with uh, Moses sending plagues, which include the hail, the east wind, locusts, boils, and death of the firstborn. Um, lastly, in this chapter, Abinadi withstands and confounds King Noah's priests. They are... Um, so surprised at his answers. And um, in Exodus, Moses and Aaron withstand and confound Pharaoh's court priests. They have a fun little showdown with serpents. Um, So, um, but before I begin with this next slide, I would like to credit Jack Welch and Gordon Thomason and Robert Smith. Um, There's that reference on the bottom for introducing me to the next allusion I'm about to discuss, which is when Abinadi prophesies that the life of King Noah shall be valued even as a garment in a hot furnace. And that's in Mosiah 12. Now, besides being quite the threat to the life of a king, we know that in Exodus 19, Mount Sinai becomes a furnace when the Lord appears. Quote, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Also in this story, the Israelites sanctify themselves and wash their clothes in preparation to um, be able to abide the presence of the Lord on Sinai. And perhaps Abinadi meant to imply that King Noah was not sanctified and not worthy to be a ruler of the people and would not be able to withstand the presence of the Lord. So... Not um, pun intended, that was a major burn for King Noah. Um, so, um, so we've discussed specific structure and phrases and narrative similarities to the Exodus narrative, but there are also some overarching themes that climax in Mosiah chapters 13 through 16. Now these motifs, um, I think they're pretty generally accepted in the scholarly 
um, discussion, I got these exactly from the Anchor Bible Dictionary on Exodus. So it's not just me um, that's saying these are the themes for Exodus. So motif one, um, God's presence with his people. Um, While there are many events throughout the story of the Exodus, one of the common factors in each is the theme of God's presence with his people. Everything from God delivering the Israelites multiple times, even during times of rebellion, God demonstrates his faithfulness to his covenant people. Likewise, Abinadi testifies that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. Um, And again, I'll say, God himself shall come down among the children of men. Furthermore, when Abinadi's face shines as Moses's did, it recalls when Moses ascended Mount Sinai the second time when God's presence was there. Um, Next is deliverance from bondage. Um, This theme of deliverance from slavery in Exodus is more focused on physical bondage and even portrays God as a divine warrior. The text mentions that the Israelites were armed for battle, but in Exodus 14, God says, I, the Lord, will fight for you. In Exodus 15, the, the Israelites sing, quote, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Also, likewise, the Book of Mormon, uh, sorry, the Book of Mosiah also proclaims deliverance from spiritual bondage and the Messiah going forth before his people to overcome the battle of evil and deliver them from their iniquities and Christ who has broken the bands of death. And last of all, um, the giving of the law. Um, the law is the principal part of the events in Exodus from the giving of the law to the reception of the law on Mount Sinai and special instructions to become a holy nation. Um, Additionally, we see Abinadi giving the law of the Ten Commandments to the king's court, and also further expounding the purposes for the law of Moses as a type of Christ. Okay, so next we are introduced to Alma, one of King Noah's priests. Um, Mosiah 17 begins, but there was one among them whose name was Alma, he also being a descendant of Nephi. And he was a young man, and he believed the words which Abinadi had spoken. Um, we are also introduced to Joshua in a similar manner. Um, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Um, another similarity I have found between Alma and Joshua is them writing down the words of their predecessors. So, Alma, he being concealed for many days, did write all the words which Abinadi had spoken. And likewise, um, Joshua wrote these words, meaning the words of Moses, in the book of the law of God. So Joshua helps bring the children of Israel across the Jordan and begins to set up the lands of their inheritance in Israel. And as we see further on in the story, Alma brings the people safely to the land of Zarahemla and begins to set up churches in the land. Um, However, I would like to note that while Alma is compared to Joshua in the sense that he was Abinadi's successor, as Joshua helped complete Moses' mission for the people, the Mosiah text doesn't compare compare event by event with Joshua later on, um, as far as I can tell. Um, All right. So another important point to note is that Abinadi probably prophesied during Pentecost, which is also called Feast of Weeks in Exodus. Um, 
And if you would like more information, I have on the bottom um, the reference, a really good article, Abinadi and the Pentecost, which if you'd like to learn more about that, you can read it online for free. It's a really good read. Um, So the time of Pentecost gives another aspect to the Exodus illusion as Moses gave the Ten Commandments around the season of Pentecost. Thus, Pentecost probably also celebrated the giving of the Law of Moses, adding another layer of understanding for when Abinadi gives and explains the Ten Commandments to King Noah's court. Um, We also know that the festival appears to have been a three-day event, which could explain why Abinadi's trial was postponed for three days. Um, Another part of the festival was that it celebrated the concluding of the grain harvest, which may help to explain why the people were infuriated at Abinadi for prophesying famine, you know, insult to injury. They're celebrating the harvest, and he says, yeah, you're going to be having famines. Um, So, and I think this is one of the most important parts uh, of the Exodus, was the people making covenants to obey God. Not long after entering the wilderness, the Israelites made covenants. This covenant relationship with God is also reflected in this Mosiah narrative not long after Alma's people flee into the wilderness, beginning in Mosiah 18. Um, And as was noted a little bit earlier on, um, the passing of the Red Sea and baptism um, have some correlation. it has been, the passing of the Red Sea has been seen as a baptism-like experience. For instance, Paul in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 10 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Um, not only Paul has seen this parallel, but also others are the beginning also have seen this at the beginning of the Christian era, specifically the Jewish community. Um, besides circumcision, they included a purification rite of initiation. And this is a quote from G. Footmore, who explains, the purpose of this initiation was to cause the proselyte to go through the sacrament received by the people at the time of the crossing of the Red Sea. The baptism of the proselytes was then a kind of imitation of the Exodus. This is important in showing us that the link between baptism and the crossing of the Red Sea existed already in Judaism. And I also like to note that um, this also adds another layer of understanding for baptism. Perhaps these also saw it as a deliverance in some ways, a spiritual deliverance when they made the covenant of baptism. Um, Also, there are some connections to the waters of Merah in Exodus 15, and the waters of Mormon mentioned in Mosiah 18. These similarities, while not immediately apparent, are subtle and insightful. But first, um, I must thank and give credit to my cute and thoughtful husband, Jonathan. Where are you, Jonathan? Raise your hand. There he is over there. Um, For sharing these specific ideas with me. Um, So... All right, so the waters of Mormon and the waters of Merah. Um, it begins with Alma gathering his people to a water source in a place called Mormon. The Syriac translation of Exodus 15 shows that Merah was likely pronounced as Mora, um, which is pronounced like the first half of the name Mormon. 
So already at the beginning of this chapter, there's a signal that the text is making connections to this story. Um, next, another similarity is that both groups arrive at a place of um, water soon after fleeing the wicked rulers. The waters of Merit is stated being in the wilderness, and the waters of Mormon noted in verse 4, quote, as being in the borders of the land, having been infested by times or at seasons by wild beasts. So perhaps it might have been in some kind of wilderness um, layout. Also, the waters of Mormon is described as a fountain of pure water, and the waters of Merah were purified or made sweet when Moses cast a tree into the water. Um, in the Exodus narrative, the Israelites are traveling in the wilderness of Shur. Shur can mean, in Hebrew, to travel or to sing, a connection to when this event immediately precedes the Song of the Sea, or the Song of Miriam. This may be an intended pun in Mosiah 18, verse 30, quote, How blessed are they, for they shall sing to his praise forever. Um, in both narratives, trees are instrumental in saving the people. Moses puts a tree into the waters, causing the waters to become drinkable. Likewise, the Nephites hide themselves in a grove of trees to escape death from King Noah's armies. And then one of the more significant similarities between the nar narratives is that at both the Waters of Mormon and the Waters of Merah, the people make covenants. Exodus 15, 25 states that at the waters of Merah, Moses, quote, made for them a law and a judgment, and there he proved them. Um, um, lastly of all, there is yet another name pun between the two narratives, with one more um, in Exodus 15, 27, immediately after leaving Merah, the Israelites come to a place called Elim. The name of the first person Alma baptizes is Elam. Additionally, the first person Alma baptizes... Oh, sorry, I already said that. Okay, the similarity of these two names become even more apparent when one notes that in Mosiah chapter 27, the name was originally misspelled as Elam. So, amazing. Thanks, hun. Um, it's nice to have a smart husband. Okay, um... So as we read further on in Mosiah, we continue to see the similarities between Alma's people and the Israelites. So, um, so let me turn and get my notes. Alma organizes one priest to every 50, and likewise, Moses appoints men to administer over the people. Um, Alma instructs concerning um, the Sabbath day, and labor and charity giving to the poor, social conduct and um, administration um, for governing the people. And as you know, um, Moses gives laws concerning all these aspects and much more. Um, and in chapter 23, it notes that almost people multiply and prosper. And likewise, the Israelites increase and multiply and the Pharaoh just doesn't know what to do with them. Those, those Israelites just keep on multiplying. Um, so Alma exhorts them not to be frightened, but to remember God's deliverance um, when the people see the Lamanites coming into the borders of their city. And at the, when they're about to cross the Red Sea, Moses tells the people to fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. 
Um, when the Nephites are in bondage to the Lamanites, um, the text says that the Lord hears the Nephites' cries. And when the Israelites are also in bondage to the Egyptians, um, it says in Exodus 2 that the cry comes up to the Lord. Um, and lastly, um, the Lord tells Alma, I will stop the Lamanites in this valley. Um, when he tells them, like, keep going because... At, um, after they have fled the Lamanites, it says, keep going, I will stop the Lamanites in this valley. And um, while the Israelites are passing the Red Sea, the Lord says that he will trouble the hosts of the Egyptians. Um, okay, so in discussing the intentional use of the Exodus for these chapters in Mosiah, I would like to apply Richard Hayes' seven criteria for intertextuality. So I'll, I'll do a quick overview of that, just to see if, yes, if, if this really was intentional. So availability was the proposed source of the illusion available to the author of Mosiah, and most likely, yes. Um, volume, what is the, the degree of explicit repetition of words or syntactical patterns? Um, and we've seen there's a fair amount of that throughout the text. And how often does Mosiah elsewhere cite or allude to the same scriptural passage? Um, it definitely quotes a lot from the same um, chapters in Exodus that we have. And how well does the alleged um, allusion fit into the line of argument that is developing in Mosiah? And um, there seems to be quite a unity of the Exodus theme through this story. And historical plausibility, could the author have intended the alleged meaning effect? And I'll go into that a little bit later, like why would he, why would the author want to include the Exodus? And um, history of interpretation, have other readers, both critical and pre-critical, heard the same echoes? And um, I'm grateful to all the people, especially like S. Kent Brown and Tate, for who also helped me see that there are Exodus themes um, and that really helped me introduce me to the idea. And satisfaction, does the proposed reading make sense? And I'll leave that to you. I won't make, tell you if it makes sense or not. That's up to you. Um, so, again, so if there really is intentional illusion and intertextuality between these two texts, what purpose does it have? Why use the Exodus story? So, um, obviously, the Exodus is such an important part of Israelites' history. Um, it's the center of history of God's covenant people. And also, I think the author wanted to um, show and exemplify the manifestation of deliverance, that eternal relationship between God and his covenant people. Um, and I like to quote from um, James Plastaris in his book, The God of Exodus, which says, It was the Exodus which shaped all of Israel's understanding of history. It was only in light of the Exodus that Israel was able to look back into the past, past and piece together her earlier history. It was also the Exodus which provided the prophets with a key to the understanding of Israel's future. In this sense, the Exodus stands at the center of Israel's history. Um, also, the Exodus is such an important part of the Israelites' history regarding religion and political change. Um, and it continues on with this importance. We see that during the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, the Temple of Solomon, it dates the Exodus 480 years to the time of the Temple of Solomon. 
um, 12 times 40, the number of perfection. So they might have been using this as a way to see. See, this is, um, um, this is kind of the center of the exodus, and this is le- a legitimate um, new innovation for the people of Israel. Um, likewise, in the Mosiah narrative, there is a major shift religiously and politically at this time. Um, Mosiah 25, King Mosiah granted unto Alma that he might establish churches throughout all the land of Zarahemla and gave him power to ordain priests and teachers over every church. Um, so uh, perhaps the author of Mosiah felt the need to show the validity of these new changes in light of the Exodus. Um, showing that, yes, these things were, um, have authority, and also perhaps even later on when um, King Mosiah makes the changes to have um, the judges rule instead of just one king. Um, but lastly, we know that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ, and I believe that the most important reason the Exodus narratives was incorporated was to teach of Christ. The Exodus and Moses were seen as types and shadows of Christ. Um, Abinadi declared, But behold, I say unto you that all these things were types of things to come. And even Jesus told the Nephites, Behold, I am he of whom Moses spake, saying, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto me, unto you of your brethren, like unto me. And then, um, in conclusion, I would like to end with a quote from S. Kent Brown, who puts it very eloquently. He says, All of the words describing Israel's bondage derive from the root Abad. Um, It is also a noun from the same root, which is translated servant in Isaiah 53, which Abinadi had quoted at length and then immediately linked to Jesus' ministry. What is clear here is that Jesus is the expected servant, or Abed, who, by paying the price of redemption, frees all those who will follow him from bondage, the very term used in the Exodus account. Um, So I hope that this presentation was enlightening and will encourage you to um, look through this again and see how it testifies of Christ and the deliverance of God's covenant people. So thank you very much. So, see if we have questions coming in. Excellent. In the meantime, we can do a nice jummy brownie. Oh, thank you. And a gift certificate to the bookstore out front. All right. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Um, okay, let me just read these for a second. Okay, question. What does this imply about how we can understand the Book of Mormon? Can we read other narratives in the Book of Mormon in this way as well? And yes, absolutely. I think um, that um, we can apply these same approaches to see. I think um, um, the Old Testament stories were used throughout the Book of Mormon, and I think we'll continue to see more and more um, um, uses of it as we study it in the text. Um, my husband Jonathan, he works at Book of Mormon Central, and 
every day he comes home and he's, he finds something new about the Book of Mormon. Um, so I think it's um, a field white ready to be sown. So, um, okay, and um, you said 12 times 40 is the number for perfection. How? Um, so, and they made a note. Yeah, that. So, um, I guess 12 is kind of like, you know, there's the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, I'm not the expert in number symbolism, but the number 12 is very important in the Israelite history. And then, um, you know, 40 days in the wilderness, um, you know, 40 days for the flood. So I think those are just very important numbers in the Old Testament. Again, I'm not, I'm not sure everything that those numbers mean, but they're, they're very important for the history of Israel. Um, last one. Oh. Oh, okay, I didn't know this, so I'll just share what they said. The name of Mosiah appears to also mean deliverance, which would support your position. So, any comments on the name? So, I didn't know that, so thanks for sharing that with me. That's really neat. Um, I don't have really any comments. I think... Um, I think, yeah, that's just neat. Okay. Um, so the question is, is this a result of your personal study or is it a paper dissertation for advanced degree? So right now I am not studying anything. Right, uh, I do not have formal study. This was just my own personal study. I just came across it about a year ago. I was reading and I said, wow. King Noah uses the kind of same similar words to Pharaoh, and that kind of opened up the floodgates. So, as you know, as you're reading the Book of Mormon, I'd encourage you if you have a thought that's like, "Wow, this is kind of like something um, that happened in another story in the Book of Mormon or in the Old Testament," just go for it. Keep on reading. Um, it took me a year, but you know, it's a process, and um, so yeah, I hope this inspires you to. Um, see that there's so much in the Book of Mormon for you to learn, and that the beauty of the authors they um, they put it so beautifully in text, and there's so much to learn from them. So, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I guess. Oh, thank you.